Hey, Tiet here. Real quick before we get into the episode, I want to make a small correction. There is a point in the conversation where I say Friday the 13th when I actually mean Nightmare on Elm Street. You will know it when you hear it because I knew it when I heard it. My deepest, sincerest apologies to my guy, Freddie. No disrespect. Please don't send us letters or kill us in our sleep. Hello, campers. Oh, (laughs) sorry about that. Feels like I got a knife in my throat or something. But no matter, it's a beautiful morning here in Woodsboro, and we have a full day of camp ahead. For most of us. Some sad news. A few campers have turned up, uh, dead and gutted. Good news, though. There are new openings for our two most popular activities, mask making and garage door repair. Please see head counselor Hembry to sign up. He's usually in his office. And don't forget, tonight in the mess hall, it's movie trivia night. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh, what's this? A message. Baker? Casey? Casey Baker? Please report to the main cabin. You have a phone call. Hey, welcome to Bunk 237. I'm Tiet. And I'm Robin. And we have a very special guest today. It's Maggie Monahan. She is a TV writer who's written for um, Hulu's Crossing Swords and for Disney Plus's upcoming show, Earth to Ned. Uh, she's also a wonderful friend of mine and former roommate. And um, once I had to dig her cat out of our couch. <laughs> because Wait, can we go back on how do you dig a cat out of a couch? Um, well, okay. Here's the thing. Maggie (laughs) had to give her cat medication, but she was somewhere for the day. I don't remember where. So I had to give the cat medication for several days, I think. But the cat hated it so much that she wedged herself into the the bottom of like our couch, like behind the wood frame of the couch. This was a very old, very cheap couch. Um, that we call the sadness couch because <laughs> there was a whole story behind it. But anyway, she, um, the cat, like I literally had to take a knife, an exacto knife to the side of the couch and then pull the cat out to give it the medication. And on top of all that, I am very allergic to cats. <laughs> and I guess that transitions perfectly <laughs> into our movie for today. <laughs> today, I'm really excited, uh, about this movie. I've been so excited about it since high school. Um, But today (laughs) we are watching Scream, the slasher movie about slasher movies, um, released in 1996, directed by Wes Craven. Scream centers on a young teenager, Sidney Prescott, played by uh, Party of Five's Nev Campbell, um, who, for reasons unknown to her and to us for most of the movie, becomes the target of a masked serial killer who stalks her and her friends. Uh, everyone around Sydney dies. That's the theme of the movie. Yeah, basically. and isn't that the theme of life? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, yes. <laughs> so, Maggie, first cue, really important, right up mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. Do you like scary movies? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> um, but I had a really fun time watching this one. In I, I we watched it at like two in the afternoon because I can't watch scary movies at right, night. Right, right. Was um, it the first time that you've watched it, or did you? Mm-hmm. Did you Oh, really? It was my first viewing, so it was really fun to get to watch it for 
this um, to actual watch with, like, a critical eye. But, yeah, I um, I would say all in all, I really enjoyed it. It was, like, a very fun watch. Yeah, I think yeah. that, um, yeah, I think that Scream probably came out for me. I saw it in high school. I think I might have been, like, the target demographic mm-hmm. for it. I was, like theater nerd little goth baby like really loved horror movies you know Mm -hmm. like I was oh probably what 16 or 17 when it came out it was it it got me very much Mm -hmm. Um, I was probably around the same age when I saw it but I saw it at home and my introduction to Scream was my I was home with my mom and she was about to leave the house and it came on TV it was like the very beginning and (laughs) I was, she saw that it was on TV and she was like, oh, watch this. It's hilarious. And then left. <laughs> That's brutal. So like I thought like going in, I thought it was a parody like scary movie or something like that. And like it's really scary. It's really actually scary. And I think it still holds up. Yeah, I do, too. Um, Maggie, did you find it scary being a, a non-scary movie fan? Um. I, I honestly didn't find it I didn't find it that scary um, because I think I was like pretty distracted by the like meta-ness of it all that it like took me out of feeling scared at all because yes. I was like oh this is the first movie uh, this is the first horror movie to make a commentary about horror movies like whereas I feel like it spurred kind of a genre of like cabin in the woods and stuff like that where like cabin in the woods yeah. is like not scary to me at all because it's just like a it's a such a like commentary on the genre that it like takes me out of it i don't have a real like visceral uh reaction to it um but like i was I, but i was in suspense i would say i wasn't scared it but is I, very suspenseful yeah, yeah i wasn't scared but i was like Oh, that guy's dead. Oh, he's back. Oh, okay. Who is it going to be? And I, and, right. and I was... There was so much of that at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, was tiring. Something to note, actually, about the meta-ness of it. Two years before, Wes Craven put out the new Nightmare, which was, like, a continuation of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street series, mm-hmm. which is, like, a very similar movie. Not Certainly not as, like, popular, I think, because it was, like, wrapped within, like, the Freddy Krueger franchise. Mm-hmm. Robin, did you see New Nightmare? I did not. So New Nightmare is about uh, the actor that plays Nancy in the first Friday the 13th. She's playing herself. Um, And so it like that movie exists in the world where Freddy movies exist. And then the real life actor starts having dreams with like Freddy in it. And then like a real Freddy from the fictional Freddy. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little, it's a bit extra. But Scream is certainly, I think, a lot better because it was like, fun and it was also like teenagers teenagers in quotes um that we already liked like nev campbell courtney cox drew barrymore and i think like i think those big names all coming into it kind of made it uh have a much broader appeal than like um other stuff that Wes craven had done before i was trying to think because like i feel like drew barrymore was on all the posters and stuff that when she died in that first scene like it had to be such a shock you know yeah if you if you were seeing it at the time 
Because, uh, like, you expected her to be in the movie. Yeah. yeah. When I watch it, I know that scene. Like, I've seen it parodied mm-hmm. a million times. I've seen, I think I've seen most of the scary movie franchise, uh, which <laughs> is pretty <laughs> oh, good. Me too. Yeah. Like, oh, me too. That's where I'm at with scary movies. So I knew, like, okay, I know what this scene is going into it. But I didn't right. know that she died at the end of the like at the end of that scene and I was like oh okay and like that is fun it's like the yeah taking yeah. out the big a little character. bit of scream trivia Drew Barrymore was actually originally cast as Sydney Prescott but she was the one that kind of came up with the idea of playing Casey Becker because she sort of thought that like because at that time she was definitely like the most famous um person cast in that movie but she thought that it would have a bigger impact on the audience like them not knowing what was going to happen if she died so she was one that helped right she was (laughs) one that helped i like read that in the little trivia about it and i thought that was like oh yeah all right drew barrymore i love that so much i also think she's like and uh if i only have to do two days of shooting then i can uh... (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally but i do love that she's on every movie poster like very yeah. prominently I think they played that really well I think that was a really like a real Ned Stark kind of thing back in 96 yeah yeah no totally did you predict who the killers were gonna be so I had I did a dumb thing when I was watching this because I recognized Rose McGowan but I couldn't I mean I haven't seen Rose McGowan mm. as a young person for a long time right. so I was like who is that and I you know did a, a quick like scream and you know you can click on cast and while I was looking for who who played Tatum, Rose McGowan, I saw a little snippet of a, pic- a man's face, and under it it said "ghost face," and I was like, "God damn it!" Like I spoiled it <laughs> for myself in the middle of the movie, but I didn't spoil it because it was the man who did the voice on the call. Right. It wasn't any of the actors who oh, appeared good. in the movie, so. I was like really upset with myself because I was like I just saw a little blip of a, a white old white man so I was like oh, it's a dad it was a dad <laughs> and so I was watching the movie convinced I'd being spoiled like, where's it. this old white man? yeah and being like oh it's, gonna, it's a dad I'm an idiot and then um I was I mean Skeet Ulrich 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 yeah yeah, yeah he um is he was great uh super and Matthew Lillard too both so. Like, uh, I think I'd made a note that said, uh, white men are so scary. <laughs> and it's true. It's, I literally, I also made the note that was, I said, Skeet Ulrich is immediately creepy. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was genuinely surprised it was them. Um, I thought that was a great, great little twist that it was two people. I did not see that coming. I absolutely it's thought cool it was. It's cool watching it. Too, knowing that it's two people because then like there are all those scenes where it's like I was getting a beer I wasn't there you know like I, yeah. I was in jail I wasn't there it's like yeah but <laughs> Matthew Lillard was who would ever think that it's two people it's never two people mm-hmm. um, and that they're also their peers uh, that they're 17 because yeah. usually in like these types of slasher movies the killer's always an old white guy mm-hmm. these are young white guys so it's true too that it was a surprise because it, everything happens so much faster than I thought it did, having not watched it in a long time. she It's like 20 minutes in that she gets, that Ghostface comes for Sydney mm-hmm. and that she suspects Billy. Mm-hmm. And then he gets arrested, like, immediately. Yeah. 
And you're like, oh, then then he can't be the killer, you know, because he's the first one arrested. Exactly. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, that's so brilliant because he's the first one that you go, oh, obviously it wasn't him. Um, right. I, I was pretty convinced it was the dad because I was like, his wife is a slut. His daughter's a slut. <laughs> Sluts die. And um, that's that was the general takeaway. The, the end in the house scene with the, the guys in the kitchen and stabbing each other um, <laughs> yeah. to, you know so it will be make it look real was like so un, like props to those actors for acting real hard <laughs> during that <scene. laughs> I, I laughed so hard because there's one point where Matthew Lillard is like bleeding out and he's starting to like bleed you know he's starting to like spit up blood and Billy uh, is on the phone, and then he hands the phone to him to walk away, and Matthew Lillard just goes, hello? He just picks up the phone and goes, hello? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Dying. But it's like the cutest little <laughs> hello. I think the pairing of those two are, are excellent, because I love they yes. the sort of the... Ski Oldress is, like, so serious the whole time. Like, he has, like, mm-hmm. strong serial that killer. brooding, like... Serious yeah. brood. And then Matthew Lillard's just like, I think killing's fun. I thought that the one plot hole, though, is that they stab each other before they kill Sydney. Like, yeah, why would they do smart. that? But I also think that it's explained just in the fact that they're dumbass high school mm-hmm. students. Yeah, right. Is it not <laughs> like just they're just like, dumb teenage boys? Yeah. What did you guys think of the lack of motive or the sort of they kind of glossed over like the motive where it was just sort of like we just like killing people for fun. Although Skeet had kind of a brooding like I don't know bad relationship with his mother. I think. Yeah, I because they I think they fit in very quickly at the end that his. Her mom was having an affair with his dad, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. Was that the thing? Yeah. And I was like, they he just made a whole speech about not having a motive, and then he did have a motive. So I felt like that wasn't needed, necessarily. Yeah. What about Sydney's, like, Sydney, I think, is such an interesting portrayal of, like, uh, sort of, you know, virginal innocence, but also being the final girl where she, like, survives at the end. But there's so much talk about, like, her mother being a slut, and, like, and how, like, that's how she sort of carries the weight of that also with like the fact that her mother was also murdered. Um, but I thought Nev Campbell was, I thought she was great in it. I thought she was like kind of a perfect kind of, a kind of dim at points with this like shitty boyfriend, <laughs> you know, like yeah. Yeah. being in love with kind of like a shitty guy. But it was again, like such a, I feel like a pretty realistic, like a high schooler trying to, stay true to herself but also you know be cool and stuff like that at first i when i saw nev campbell i was like oh it's parker posey <laughs> which that's funny because parker posey is in the third one i think i mean i think this movie would have been even funnier with parker posey in it but i thought <laughs> nev campbell was good i guess i felt i found nev campbell pretty vanilla like pretty bland as a character goes except she was like a badass like fought off a killer multiple times yes and I, but but as like a person as a character like, yeah there she wasn't super fleshed out personally courtney cox is the hero of this movie for oh me. god she's so good all right so standout standout character in this of all of all of the actors in this film Skeet Ulrich was acting hard, but doesn't necessarily mean he's good. <laughs> um, honestly, 
Courtney Cox. I loved her. That was, she was my favorite. She plays that character so well. She plays the character well. She's very unlikable because she's, mm-hmm. like, making money off this girl's dead mom. And that's shitty. But then she comes to save the day. And she's, she, to me, she's a woman who is, who's making her way in the world. And, and I mean, it's not great. <laughs> right. But, like, when she comes back with the gun, I was like, hell yeah. And it doesn't work. And then she comes back again. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and David Arquette was great. I felt like the, ha- the movie has a lot of really great supporting actors. Um, yeah. I did. I was, like, laughing when they had the scene by the, like, water fountain outside the school that, like, all the guys, like, if you squint, you can't tell them apart. They're all just, like, <laughs> lanky white dudes with crispy hair. And uh, so, and Jamie Kennedy was like, that's fun. And he played the nerd very well. Yeah. But I think Courtney Cox and David Arquette were, like, the murders obviously take up a big portion of the movie. But that they were the kind of, like, the fun spice that, like... I don't know, made it not just, like, a slasher film. Yeah. I love that. I loved watching the two of them together, knowing that they, like, fell in love <laughs> on this movie and got married. Yeah. And just, like, just watching them flirt with each other in the movie, I was like, this is adorable. <laughs> now, the little trivia bit that I found out is that uh, Nev Campbell and Matthew Lillard dated very briefly. Mm. I don't know if they already knew each other from this uh, movie if it was during this time but they did date also so it's true what they say yeah. about movie sets right am i right they are places for workplace harassment <laughs> <laughs> when i first saw courtney cox in her neon yellow skirt suit i was like this is so for me good the costumes are great so they good really are it was interesting to watch this movie in 2020 and be like oh, these were all the biggest stars of the time. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and since then, where are all these people at? And, like, you know, Courtney Cox is still, like, pops up on my Google feed of, like, a thing that I should care about. And then it's, like, Jamie Kennedy, what are you up to, man? And, like, Matthew (laughs) Lillard, I mostly know him from the Scooby-Doo movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jamie Kennedy. If If I could give him, like, most underrated not underrated but i just like i don't think we're talking enough about jamie kennedy in this film he's so oh my god fun and good in it and just like every video store guy i ever knew in the 90s you know and his like fast talking like almost like 30s detective accent i don't know where that came from but i loved it so much you know they play into a lot of slasher movie tropes Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That's the whole point oh, of I it. I wrote down like all the references that I, <laughs> yeah. that I heard. What were some of the things that you wrote down? The scene where he's um, on the couch alone and he's watching Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis and then Ghostface comes in behind him. Mm-hmm. He's yelling at the screen, Jamie, turn around. Jamie, look behind Yeah, yeah, you. I noticed that. And I was like, that's so good. <laughs> so funny. I found it very masturbatory. <laughs> Like, it totally took me out of it from the get-go. I was like, wait, Wes Craven made this movie about his own movies? (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it as a viewing experience. Mm -hmm. But from a critical point of view, I'm like, okay, calm down. This is a little much. Um, I mean, I might have fatigue from the movies that followed this. But, like... 
had I seen this when I was younger, maybe I would feel differently, but I've seen enough movies that I'm kind of like, I don't know. It, it what didn't wow me as a, as a new idea. Even yeah, though I this can see was that. Right, it's right. definitely, I mean, the whole movie is fan service to mm-hmm. like horror movie fans. Yeah. I, there's certainly a lot of fatigue. Cause I was also wondering, you know, the scene where, um, Courtney Cox has the gun and she doesn't have the safety on. Mm-hmm. Like, is that mm-hmm. the first time that someone makes that safety joke? Cause like, how many times have we seen that, like, the safety on a gun yeah, joke? Yeah, yeah. That didn't uh, strike me as something that I had seen a ton before. I don't also really know how guns work. So <laughs> I was like, I don't know, maybe she's doing it wrong. <laughs> Do you guys want to know some Scream trivia? Sure. Sure. Uh, it was released December 20th. 1996, uh, so it's technically a Christmas movie. Christmas movie. <laughs> and then it was in theaters for like eight months. No way, yeah, really? Yeah, eight months. That's, yeah, that's like, it made it to like almost the next Halloween. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a very long time for a film to stay in a movie yeah. theater. But I feel like, was that a thing that just happened in the 90s where movies I, like in theaters for longer? I feel like that happened in like the 70s, <laughs> but I didn't, think, yeah. I didn't think that happened in the 90s. <laughs> we didn't. Um, during production, Ghostface's like black robe was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be white to make him like look like a ghost, mm-hmm. uh, but they changed it to black because they oh. thought that it might that people might comment that it looks too much like a KKK robe. That was very smart. I Great also idea, thought I that was really smart. Can you imagine <laughs> how different the movie would have been if it had been? Yeah. I feel like that would have really changed like, the whole tone of the movie. If was... Yeah, I feel like we probably would not be talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> also, it would have gotten so dirty. <laughs> it would have. They would have He's had like, to change them crazy. many, many so times. Like, it would like, be really woods. unrealistic to have a clean, white <laughs> robe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they originally offered the role to uh, the role of Sidney Prescott to Molly Ringwald, uh, at that time, because mm. the screenwriter, Kevin Williamson, was a big fan. Uh, but at that time, she was like, I'm 27. I don't want to play a high schooler. Which is funny, I didn't believe everyone... any of these people were high schoolers. <laughs> no, they were, they were all in their 20s. So I think Molly yeah. Renaud would have been fine. But I think she like she had the peace of mind to be like, I'm 27. <laughs> but all yeah. the actors were like 25. And they were like, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll play like an 18-year-old. <laughs> Watching it, it does feel like extremely mid-90s. Um, like yeah. every outfit, every haircut, like everything that um, Tatum, like Rose McGowan wears is like like such a 90s, like Delia's catalog dream mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. clothing. I love, I also really loved Tatum as sort of like the sassy best friend that's like kind of a bitch, but really like loyal to her friends. I was, I was sad that she died. <laughs> yeah, that garage door scene was. Before she died, did you think she was going to figure her way out of that? Or did you, were you like, she's doomed? Well, I was like, oh, that doggy door seems promising. And then I felt really bad <laughs> for her because I don't know if that was her actual, those were her actual nipples or if they did like. Oh, that was the first thing I noticed when she opened <laughs> If it was like a costume thing, but I was like. Oh, she has giant boobs, so obviously she's gonna die and get stuck in there because she's a woman. <laughs> her breasts literally she can't get through because her boobs yeah, are too she big. Can't get her boobs and she's out. too curvy. But if she was like a slender Nev Campbell, she would have right through. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that 
to the actors, like, to all the actors' credit, some of their writing was very bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> this also, like, You've Got Mail does not hold up because technology. <laughs> I was like this. Uh, the first note I wrote down was, this movie should be called Landlines. <laughs> because... <laughs> Everybody. I had the same note where I was like, none of this would happen if right. everyone just had cell phones. That honestly wasn't that long ago either. Like the time before <laughs> caller ID and video stores, all the stuff that like really dates that movie to 1996. Oh man, I, I had the note, that's the busiest video store I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many people walking around renting movies. The other thing that was like a fun little technology thing is... Uh, Courtney Cox and her cameraman, they set up the little hidden camera. They're like, it's a 30-second delay. (laughs) (laughs) Would you watch this again, Maggie? Would you recommend this? I would recommend it for someone to watch because I think it's like, I think it's an important movie and it's a fun movie. But I don't know if I'd watch it again by myself. If I was watching it with somebody else for the first time, I think, or, or if they were like, oh, I love this movie, let's watch it, I would be down to do that. Would you watch the sequel? I'd be interested to see what, they, what the sequel even is. If you didn't like the meta <laughs> parts of this one, okay. in, the, in the second movie, they've made a movie about the story of Sid's, okay. of, no, I thought, of the ghost uh, face no, killer. No. Which is, and as it's, yeah, as even, it's screening, people get killed by a copycat. Yeah, killer. I think I would Even pause. deeper. <laughs> the killer is like literally chasing someone through the set of Sydney's house. That's too much. At That's one point. That's too much. I love them. <laughs> Uh, Robin, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, mine is a bit of a pun. Okay. I'm going to award Scream the meta banger badge because it has a lot of bangs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's meta. Banger. Like, it's a banger. I love it. Yeah. And also, the characters have a lot of good bangs. <laughs> and also, a gun gets shot, so that's another kind of bang. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I gave it actually uh, a very similar badge. I maybe even the same badge with a different name. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it the Gilmore Girls badge for most like Spitfire movie references within a movie mm. about movies. That's very good. Best outdated furniture goes to all the TV <laughs> cabinets. <laughs> I was like, what? His- Oh, it's a cabinet that you keep your television in. (laughs) I'd also give badge to the best scream to Casey's mom. Oh, yeah. That's a good scream that she does. She turns around, she sees her hanging from a tree all all cut up. Like, to me, that was the most real visceral scream of the movie. Rather than, like, fright, it was, like, really, like... Real, that was like got me a mother's of, pain yeah mother's shoes <laughs> and, and like oh, i just I, it makes me so happy when i see like an actor who you know was there for one day of shooting you just <laughs> yeah. left it all on the court and she was like <laughs> yeah. it that really that was one of the things that like got me really excited and hooked into the like wanting to know who who done it well maggie thank you so much 
for coming on and talking to us about Scream. Yes, yeah, thank, thank you. you to Yet and Robin. This was very fun. Um, I now I'm now I'm kind of interested to watch the other Scream movies because I was so mad at this one. <laughs> like I. It was a very fun watch, but I was like, oh, my God, shut up. We get it. We know what you're doing. But now I'm kind of like want to see how many times it can fold in on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you see it keep going and going, it'll be like that thing of like something is not funny and then it's funny again. Yeah. You just keep doing it. Yeah. And then honestly, like watch Scream 2 and then come back and talk to us. I would be very excited (laughs) to do that. We can do a a part part two Scream 2. Yeah, because I would love, because especially knowing that you haven't seen them already and watching them now in 2020, Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to know sort of uh, how deep you can let yourself get into this universe Mm -hmm. uh, that is already kind of annoying you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'm at a little bit of a glutton for pain in terms (laughs) of like watching television and bad movies and stuff. So um, uh, not that I would, I wouldn't call this bad, but uh, I would definitely, uh, I think I'll I'll probably give it a try and see where stuff is streaming and and check it out. (laughs) Hey Maggie, do you have anything you want to plug? Oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking me if I had wanted anything to plug. Oh, I messed it up. Um, <laughs> Crossing Sword Season 1, you can watch all 10 episodes on Hulu, starring Nick Holt and many other wonderful voice actors and some really, really fun stop-motion animation. And then, um, not exactly sure of the date, but in, sometime in September, Earth to Ned is coming to Disney+. Plus. It's a crazy talk show hosted by a giant alien puppet uh, that is put together by the Jim Henson Company, and it's really crazy and really fun. And I can't give too much away. Actually, I don't Ooh. know if I can say that. Let me try this again. Bleep this all. <laughs> okay. <out. Bleep. laughs> Earth to Ned is a TV show I wrote on that comes out in Di- on Disney Plus sometime in September. It's a TV show hosted by an alien who is a giant Jim Henson puppet. It's super fun. Cover all sorts of wonderful little topics here and there. And I think you will really enjoy it. It was a delight to work on. So check that out as well. Wonderful. Maggie, can we find you on Twitter or Instagram? No. Oh, uh, excellent. Uh, what a stable, yeah. stable human Hell being. Yeah. I am not on Twitter because I love myself too much. And I have an Instagram. It's MaggieMonahan23. You can request me and I might accept you. <laughs> to yet, I will accept you. Robin, not sure. <laughs> oh, boy. I want to keep myself a little secret. <laughs> <laughs> can tell the hell out of horror history Gather round you gutter clowns Take a seat by me Turn the page to blood and rage The chapter will begin You movie buffs don't know enough That's why we have Andy doing this podcast Howdy campers, it's me, Counselor Andy. You may remember me from such fun camp activities as peer mediation in the de-escalation of prank scenarios 
deconstruction of lately revealed family curses, and canoeing at Crystal Lake. I'm glad I've got you here for a minute because I want to talk about the joy of ponding. Yeah, you know, ponding. It's when you go out to a pond and collect a bunch of water and see what kind of life forms and what sort of members of the ecosystem of that pond you've got in there. They can sometimes tell you a whole story. One of the beautiful things about it is that sometimes you can get a species entire life cycle in just one tub of pond water, as we've got here today. Now, don't be shy. Go ahead and look at this bucket of murky, cloudy pond water. I took it from the cultural pond just outside camp. And what we've got in here today is the entire life cycle of meta-horror satire. That's right, from egg right on up to adult meta-satire horror frog. Now, do you see that kind of globular thing clinging to that plant at the bottom of the of the bucket yeah that's the egg that is the old dark house a film directed by james whale in 1932 which finally took the conventions that had loosely been affiliated with mysteries but this of course being a very specific type of mystery and gave it a name now the first old dark house mystery was mary roberts reinhardt's the bat Mary Roberts Reinhardt was often referred to as the American Agatha Christie, but was published 12 years earlier than Christie. The Bat was a stage play that opened on Broadway after its initial run under the title A Thief in the Night, and it ran for 867 performances. By the late 1920s, theater popularity had died down in general, and so these plays sort of went away. Whale brought it back with his film The Old Dark House in 1932, which then just kind of went on and in inspired a whole nother movement or wave of the subgenre. An adaptation of The Bat starring Vincent Price and Agnes Moorhead in 1959 is one of the most notable ones, but also one that I really like is the Kay Kaiser starring musical Old Dark House movie called You'll Find Out, which features performances by Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre. And if you've watched Scooby-Doo or Abbott and Costello or even some Three Stooges, you know that this genre informed comedy quite a bit. And references of old dark house mysteries never really went away. Right on up through the 80s, you had Clue and Haunted Honeymoon starring Gene Wilder and Gilda Radner. And people talk about the sequelitis of slasher movies. The Bat had several sequels and remakes. Now take a look over here, not too far away from those little eggs on the plants, and see those little tadpole guys swimming around in there? That's the next life stage of meta-horror satire. And those are, all those guys, those little tadpole guys, collectively are Jalo. Jalo started as a literary subgenre, and not even really genre, it just referred to anything uh, of mystery, anything dealing with the occult, or murder, or the supernatural, or just mystery. It just meant mystery. And the word giallo, which is Italian for yellow, became associated with this because the covers of the books released by the Mondadori line were yellow. And that's it. It's literally judging a book by its cover. There's one in particular I want you to pay close attention to. See that little one? That little girl, she looks like she knows too much, right? Mm -hmm. She's kind of got an evil eye. Yeah, that's the one we're going to focus on. That's the evil eye, aka the girl who knew too much by Mario Bava in 1963, starring John Saxon and Leticia Roman 
as Nora, our hero, who was also what? A mystery fan. That's right, 33 years before Jamie Kennedy played Randy in Scream, we had an expert on mystery novels in a mystery story, and she was also our, what we would call, a final girl. She was the heroine who witnessed a murder and then applied her knowledge of mystery novels to the solving of the crime and her own basic survival once she had been targeted. This is a film knowingly referencing literary tropes and, and genre conventions, and in this case, kind of deconstructing those conventions before the actual genre that it's doing that in exists as a cinematic thing. Okay, where were we? Next up. Ooh, you see those uh, those other tadpoles that have, well, they're not quite tadpoles because they got legs. Those little, those little polywog kind of ladies? Yeah, those are 1981 and 82. That is the slasher comedy boom of 1981. I'm calling it a boom. It was not. There was a slasher film boom in 1981. That's kind of the big year for the first wave of slasher films. In fact, it was so big and such a big deal that it inspired a string of satires that are really just parodies, like full-on spoofs. They are student bodies from 1981, pandemonium from 1982, wacko from 1982, and class reunion from 1982. And while there were certainly conventions and tropes to recognize and even lampoon, the subgenre didn't really have an identifying classification yet. It didn't have a name. We didn't call it slasher. I think at the time, maybe Siskel and Ebert were referring to them as like stalk and kill or body count films. That's right. Before we even called them slasher movies, slasher movies had four parodies. Okay, just let's pause for a minute because I do want to acknowledge that all four of these movies have some problematic elements teetering into straight up offensive and insensitive and mean-spirited. There's some racial humor, some racist humor uh, to put a finer point on it. Of course, the usual early 80s comedy misogyny, uh, a little bit of casual homophobia, but also a little bit of like, I don't know, is this progressive for its time representation in a couple points? Question mark. But yeah, it's there's you gotta take it in its context. And I'm not defending the the films for doing these things necessarily, just kind of saying if you go into them, expect uh, to feel cringy and uncomfortable at times. But I digress. Student Bodies was sort of a product of the writer's strike at the time. And in fact, the co-director and producer took an Alan Smithy credit so as not to get in trouble with the union. But it was Michael Ritchie who directed Bad News Bears and Fletch and Golden Child and The Couch Trip and one of my personal favorites, Digstown. The other director who got the directing credit, Mickey Rose, was a prolific comedy and TV writer. So these were comedy folks. Paramount optioned it specifically because the strike had made them desperate. The movie didn't really do that well theatrically. In fact, none of them did. But ironically, for a film that was satirizing a subgenre that at the time was notorious and granted almost pariah status by lots of critics and parents groups and, and other communities for being ultra-violent and, and too sexual, considered to be like one step up from smut by plenty of people. I mean, if you want some context for 
for the kind of hatred that slasher movies inspired in certain people. Just like look up anything Gene Siskel had to say about them at the time. We also have Pandemonium from 1982, which actually has very little in the way of jokes about the conventions and tropes and is more just kind of like a straight up airplane style comedy, just a screwball collection of gags which is interesting because it was directed by Alfred Soule, who directed Alice Sweet Alice, which is one of the, like, mile markers in the evolution of the subgenre. It's a proto-slasher and a highly influential one at that. Pandemonium was also called Thursday the 12th, Natch. It features a whole slew of well-known comedic and character actors. Uh, it has references to Carrie, both in the lead character played like stunningly by Carol Kane. She is just fantastic in this. And in the appearance of both Sidney Lassick and Edie McClurg, who were both in Carrie. It also has David Lander, Eileen Brennan, Judge Reinhold, a tiny appearance by Phil Hartman, Tab Hunter, Tom Smothers, and Paul Pee-wee Herman Rubens. And in one of the lead roles features Miles Chapin, who was in my personal 1981 favorite, The Fun House. This film is essentially a Groundlings project. There is, as there were in lots of these movies, a cross-dressing slash gender panic uh, reveal, a la Sleepaway Camp, a la Psycho, a la Homicidal. But I don't know. I, I kind of think I love Tab Hunter and Drag here. I don't know. I think it's because he specifically wanted to be a cheerleader. I think that's what I love about it. Anyway, point is, aside from that and some of the kills, it doesn't do a lot of playing with genre tropes. You're kind of expecting certain twists and it fakes you out every time. I don't think because it's subverting an expectation knowingly. I think just because those conventions hadn't been established well enough for the filmmakers to know and play with them yet. It's more concerned with being a comedy than anything else. And yeah, way fucking racist uh, moment where Judge Reinhold gets launched to Japan, I guess, somehow. Godzilla is a flight attendant. It's a whole, I think it makes me angry. Okay, rounding out the rest of these little polywogs from the class of 81 to 82, we have Wacko, directed by Graydon Clark, who at the time had done Without Warning, which is often referenced as a predecessor to The Predator, and it's kind of great. He also went on to do Uninvited, Skinheads, and Dance Macabre. Uninvited is the best mutant killer cat on a boat movie there is, and Skinheads is for sure an inspiration on Green Room. Anyway, Wacko was shot in 25 days. It's the feature film debut of Andrew Dice Clay. Don't worry, he's not like the lead in it. It started production on the last day of April 1981, so I still kind of give it that 81 cred because it was technically pretty early in this in the first wave slasher cycle. It had a budget of $600,000. Half of that, from what I understand, went to the leads, because there were some leads. George Kennedy is in this movie. Jodon Baker is in it. E.G. Daly, Charles Napier. I mean, I love all of these actors. And like some of them weren't like big names at the time, but there were enough of them in this movie that it cost something. Jodon Baker plays this like grizzled cop stereotype in it. So like half the movie is making fun of more of cop tropes than of slasher tropes. Although there are, of course, just like all of these movies, a million references to Halloween in it. Look, it's kind of fun. It's really problematic, but it does a thing or two. And after that, we get Class Reunion, which I'm overdue for a rewatch on, but if I remember correctly, it might be the funniest and most complete of all of these parodies. 
and is notable because it was the first screenplay uh, produced that was solely written by John Hughes. This is early on in John Hughes's career, and it takes place at a 10-year high school reunion, so it's it kind of has a lot of proto-Hughes themes going on in it, even though it is a slasher parody with exorcist references. It has a Chuck Berry cameo. It stars Garrett Graham, who genre fans will know of as uh, Bud the Chud from Chud 2, and the lead in Phantom of the Paradise, and uh, one of the uh, Andy Barclay's adoptive parents in Child's Play 2. Class Reunion is also notable because it's a National Lampoon movie. This was their second released film after Animal House. Another thing that is probably worth pointing out is the killer, Walter Baylor, is played by Blackie Dammit, who is Anthony Kiedis's dad. So that's a fun fact. The thing is, all of this is just kind of to show these, these little polywog ladies, these, these class of 81, 82 creatures we have, are spoofing the subgenre before it's really a subgenre. So they're all hitting and missing kind of with equal frequency, which, you know, you might expect from little youngsters who just have hind legs but no front legs and just kind of swimming around in a new world. And it's, it's I don't know, it's a little exciting. They're in the moment, you know? They're trying to make sense of this thing as it's happening. You know, none of them really are great, but they do kind of lead us to what we have next, which is this little polywog with front legs too. And that beautiful creature campers, that is Wes Craven's new nightmare. And that's Wes Craven making meta horror that takes place not just in the real world, but in the horror filmmaking industry to tell a story about storytelling with an actress famous for playing final girl Nancy Thomas, Heather Langenkamp, playing herself, Heather Langenkamp, star of A Nightmare on Elm Street, a film that arguably single-claw-handedly revitalized the slasher subgenre as it was dying in 1984. And it does so much to carve out a space for Scream and the things that would follow. And I tell you, I didn't like this film when it was first released, but every time I've seen it since, I've found something new to appreciate it, and I somehow love it even more than the time I saw it. I mean, I came around on loving it a long time ago, but I, I, it's, just, it's just wonderful, and I don't want to talk too much about it. It's just Wes Craven was already playing around with this kind of stuff in his own career, and I could kind of take this moment as an opportunity to gush about Craven's career for various reasons. I mean, the, the guy had like something like four, you know, big moments, big periods, and none of his failures were, were quite enough to completely do him in and take him out of the game. It's just, I mean, the guy just stuck around and, and I just love that. But let's, Let's move on to the specimen in question here, this adult frog that kind of looks like Jamie Kennedy, right? In a froggy sort of way. Maybe a little scary, kind of funny, a little self-aware, but definitely a mature, fully formed organism. This is Scream. This is today's film. This is the culmination not just of, of the other life stages that we've seen from Old Dark House to The Evil Eye to the, the, the horror spoofs of 81, 82, but also everything else in the pond water, everything else that it that was a part of the the cultural zeitgeist at any era, the the creatures diet, 
the creature's habitat, the creature's anything. You've got Bugs Bunny. You've got Last Action Hero from 1993. You've got Shelly from Friday the 13th Part 3. You've got Kelly Jo Minter, by the way, who is in so many of these movies. She's in 1991's Popcorn. She's in A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the one before they decided to kill Freddy that would pave the way for a new nightmare. But the one with a kid who's a comic book fan and finds himself trapped in a comic book. Hello, Meta much. She's in that. Kelly Jo Minter's that. She's in Summer School from 1987, which features two slasher fan characters that create a slasher scene to get their teacher out of trouble. There's uh, there's nothing out there from 1991 where the lead is again a Randy type, a horror fan who knows all the tropes and rules. There's 1991's scary movie, not to be confused with 2000's scary movie, which is a spoof of Scream and the the teen Scream slasher boom that, that Scream ushered in. But 1991's scary movie starring John Hawks as Warren, a horror fan who is convinced the horror funhouse he's going to is going to be the target of an escaped mental patient. There's la- I said Last Action Hero, didn't I? Of course I did. There's The Monster Squad from 1987 where horror fan kids use their knowledge of monsters to defeat monsters knowledge they gleaned from watching monster movies they have a monster movie test to gain entry into their club a test like the one ghostface gives on the phone to people there's fade to black from 1980 starring dennis christopher as eric binford the distinction here being of course that this is a horror fan not represented in a positive light and yes i'm ranting now i guess but this is the anatomy of this horror medicine satires biology and scream is is the culmination of all of that and and i just hope you can enjoy looking through this pond water as much as i do uh maybe if we come back again some other time we can we can get this the scream adult scream frogs eggs which would be of course the slasher remakes and sequels and and meta horror narrative stuff that would come after that like the sorority row remake which is amazing and underrated by the way and The Final Girls, and Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Oh, so many other great little frogs to look at in this pond water. You know what I mean? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed dropping by. I got really excited lo- talking about this stuff. I hope you got excited uh, listening to it. And I hope you have a good time for the rest of your summer, campers. Now I've got to go out and test a few kids for their piercing the fourth wall badge in archery. Have a good day. Stay out of the poison ivy. Bunk 237, a horror movie podcast, stars Yet Wen and Robin Zlotnick as the final girls of Bunk 237. Andy So as Camp Counselor Andy. And Chris Charpentier as Camp Director Chris. The show is produced by me, Shane Segretti. Our theme song is written and performed by Dan Zlotnick, and our outro music is written and performed by Talene Kali. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and it may be featured on an upcoming episode. Have a suggestion for a movie? Then follow us on Instagram at Bunk237Pod and Twitter at Bunk237. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded.